Welcome back to Student Ministry for Parents. Woo, it's been a minute. It has been a minute. And this is a podcast, if you're just listening in, this is a parent podcast from two youth workers where if you are wanting to become a discipler of a teen, this is the podcast for you. We talk about lots and lots of things, but we are coming with a new format in our new season. It's been since February, I look back. And it felt longer than that. It, yeah, it really has. So we're needing to dust off yes, this it's, podcast a little bit. It's been almost a year. Gosh. So if we sound a little bit shaky, a little bit older. <laughs> a little I do bit, feel like we're older and wiser. Yeah, a lot has happened in the past year. So much. Yeah. But we do know for a fact that we are trying to change things up a little bit. Make it a little more clear, a little bit more efficient in some ways. But Susan and I have been doing youth ministry for, I don't know, I've been doing it for 16 years. Susan, how long for you? I don't know. Since 2007. 2000. Can't do that math. Yeah, about the same. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. So 32 years combined. Gosh. And I think it's important that as we're aging in youth ministry, that we start cataloging some of our experiences. Yeah. And so... What we want to do as we're heading into this new chapter of this podcast is that the first portion, I really want to dive into some stories, stories of youth ministry. Where have we seen God at work? But what are some stories that have just made us laugh really hard that have just been moments that you cannot replicate outside of the youth ministry experience? So Susan, if I ask you for a story of youth ministry today, what do you have for me? Gosh, it's so hard because I have so many favorite memories. But just thinking back over the years, some of my most tender memories are when I first started because I really didn't know what I was doing. And I think about as we come to discipling people, we come just as people, you know, like there's not a magic formula or I'm going to follow this 12 step plan and it's going to be awesome. And I was young and I had a lot of free time and I had a student that loved to hang out, but she wasn't a crowd person. So like a one-on-one was more her jam. And because she was in middle school and had big frizzy hair, her favorite thing was she would come to my house and she would ask me to straighten her hair. And she had like the longest hair you've ever seen in your entire life. I know you don't straighten your hair, but John used to have really nice long hair, but it's chopped off now. But we would just sit in my room and just, I would just straighten her hair and that would take forever. But it was this like fun thing where we would just talk about her day. Cause she was probably in eighth, seventh or eighth grade. And it was just a great opportunity where we were doing something side by side, which sometimes that just lended for better conversations. And we would laugh and she'd tell me about school and we'd talk about boys and we'd talk about sports. Cause she was a big soccer player. And, um, we did that for months and months and months. And I just remember this moment in ministry, just feeling like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, is this worth, you know, I mean, I was like on the clock. I just remember thinking like, what's the point of this? We're just like literally hanging out, doing nothing. I'm straightening your hair. We're shooting the breeze. And I can remember about probably nine months into my friendship with her, straightening her hair, just like always. And she's, you know, she's not looking at me because she's facing away as I'm doing her hair. And she was just like, what do you think happens to us when we die? Like, what do you actually think? 
And I was like, oh, hello. But it was that like journey and like building the small bricks of relationship has always stuck out to me. And, and I'm sure John has probably heard me tell this story before, but for me, it always stuck out as we work with volunteers and parents to think about all the moments that you think that maybe don't mean anything, that they are just life. You're just standing with someone side by side are actually these huge building blocks of creating a relationship and a freedom and a safety for your student to come with something real. Because in that moment, she wanted to know, I mean, like it was a genuine question, but it was deeper than that. You know, it was like this tiptoe into, I don't know if I believe all this stuff at church is real or, you know, like it was a deeper moment and it created this friendship. I mean, that was 2007 and this is a student I still keep up with today. She has three kids now and she's really important to me. And it, those small moments really meant something and they were so silly and so trivial, but they were the building blocks for something really, really special and really, really bigger than I could see. So that's the first one that came to my mind when you said that. Did that question freak you out when no. she asked it? No. no. Uh-uh. You're like, I was waiting for this. Moment. No, it, I think it was one of those things of it felt so good because I think I felt created to do that of like, I love students and I love the gospel. And it felt like, oh, I get to say something meaningful. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of like, well, I've been doing nothing for about nine months. So it's about yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> so. Dig, digging into that. Yeah. No, it felt good. Yeah. That's one of my favorite moments. You know, there, there are many stories of that, like as a youth worker sitting there when the student finally asked a question you've been wanting them to ask or what you've been trying to lead to. But now in our, our current position, we sit with a lot of younger youth workers who are you know, walking through their first discipleship relationships and, and they note like the first time that they finally had a breakthrough with a student and it, it's just seeing their joy of having that moment replicated as I can totally relate to that experience. I remember when that first happened for me and watching somebody else that happened for them for the first time is like this, you know, out of body experience that we're just helping other people do this more and more. Right. Yeah. That's sweet. Thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is really an important piece of this podcast that, you know, I think I want to be able to catalog our experiences to say, like, there are a lot of things that we do that just don't feel like there's purpose or that this is ridiculous. But giving us perspective that, you know, it's a really fun job and giving our listeners that this is a really fun job. It's really hard, but there is closure. And there are moments that we're working towards that if you take a moment and pause and think like, and you look back like, oh, all of that work was worth it. And so for you as a parent, if you're a parent listening to this, you might be thinking the same thing, like day in, day out, doing the grind, going through the drama, the relationships, the homework, the busy schedules. You're like, what in the world am I doing? You could probably tell very similar stories. So that's why I feel like it's really important to add this piece into what we do really short. 
And it may be something as serious as what Susan did, or it may be, you know, a kid just doing something so, super funny. But those those stories will come. So that's our, our first reformat of this show. What we're going to be doing after that, what we'll be diving to, into in just a minute is what we're going to take a, a an article, a resource, a book, or whatever, and we're going to review it. We're going to talk about what are the highlights from this article as quickly as we can. And then from there, we're going to ask two questions and try to answer them as best we can. Is How does this information, this resource help us and influences how we do youth ministry? How does it change the way that we do youth ministry? And secondly, we want to leave you guys with asking the questions, how can you apply this into how you disciple your team? Whether you're a parent or you're a fellow youth worker or something, how can you take this information and let it help you and shape you and transform you into pursuing your teen and discipling them closer to Jesus? So that's what we're going to do. first resource is one I've been sitting on for probably since we stopped the podcast like a year ago. Um, really marinating in that. Yeah, letting it <laughs> marinate. I was actually reading a magazine of all things. Do you That's know the what? only thing I read. Yeah, magazines? <laughs> I can't when, read it. When was the last magazine you read? This month. What'd you read? Hello, the Magnolia magazine. Joanna Gaines, so good. Do you actually, are there articles in that? I really just look at the recipes, mm. so... Yeah, I I do skip the longer articles because they're a little too too long. Yeah, so a little while ago I got rid of my smartphone. I'm back on the smartphone, but you know there was a moment where I didn't have it, and I was wondering how do I kill the time? And so I got a magazine subscription like we did back in the '90s. Yes, and, and they're cheaper when the subscription. <laughs> yeah, sure, they're pretty cheap. But I got this magazine called The Atlantic. A lot of people probably heard of it. It's kind of brainy. Yeah. Not, but not too brainy. There's some interesting stuff in there. There's not a lot of pictures. I'm not. Super <laughs> <excited>. <laughs> Where are all the pictures in this book? No, there is an article in there that was pointing back to an article from 2017 by Jonathan Haidt and one other guy. I can't remember. Anyways, I have to say anything that we bring up in this podcast was not like forced upon us or we're not promoting not sponsored by we're not anything. sponsored <laughs> we've had some sponsors throw their names out there nobody we would <laughs> want to so maybe if you want to sponsor this podcast absolutely we will consider you <laughs> so far it's been all no's anyways this article written back in 2017 was has trickled into this book called the coddling of the american mind and there have been speaking engagements and the book and, you know, several articles since then written and, and stuff that's been influenced from that article. But I took some time and kind of dove into the book itself. And to summarize it for our listeners, if you've never heard of it, um, there's actually a video you can watch on YouTube from this, is it an organization? What would you call it? I don't know. It's called the Big Think if you go on YouTube, type in the big think and you type in Jonathan Haidt coddling of the American mind. Maybe we can link it in the yeah, show we'll put, notes. Yeah, we'll put it in the show notes. And it really summarizes the book. It's five minutes. It's, it's so good. It's so good. Take five minutes to to watch it. They'll do a much better job because it's the author actually explaining everything. 
But in the book, he's he talks about the fact that teenagers in this current genera- generation are unlike any other generation that has come before it in the sense that they have become and have been treated as if they are fragile entities. And he, he uses this word of fragility in, in tangent with the fact that there was some researcher out there that says humans are actually these entities, these creatures who are made to be and are supposed to be anti-fragile. Now, what does that mean? That means that when they are pushed around, when they are hurt, when they are challenged, they don't break. They actually grow and get stronger from those moments. But what happened in this current generation is we shifted the pendulum to say, no, kids are not anti-fragile. They're fragile. So we must protect them at all cost. And so it's created this epidemic and a word that he calls safetyism. We do everything we can to make sure kids don't deal with hardship and they are not confronted with difficult things. We do everything we can to protect them, to make sure that they don't get hurt. And the, the, the thesis is what that has done is that has led to a generation that is more fragile than any previous generation ever to come through America. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Hoping I'm not breaking your mind dream. My mind dream. (laughs) Yeah. Your mind grapes. (laughs) From 30 Rock. So I just have a question on the language, which I think you and I have talked about when we first watched this video, but I'm so interested why they use the language anti-fragile versus saying resilient. Like, I think that's so specific and intentional. And so like, if you, I know you haven't, I'm throwing this at you, but have you thought at all about like, why do they use that? Because I think talking about the fragility, like either the fear of it or what we've created, why do we use that instead of resilience? Like yeah. what our hopes for it? Are, yeah. You know yeah. I mean? There's actually a longer video and he gets into this in the book where he talks about the difference between like a, a, a glass, like a wine glass. And if you push that wine glass off the table, it's going to break. It's fragile. It will break as soon as it's met with something hard. If you do like a plastic wine glass, that falls, it hits the ground, it's resilient. It doesn't break. The plastic can absorb the fall. That's different than something that if it falls, it actually gets stronger. The plastic is not getting stronger. It's resilient. So it's anti-fragile in the sense it does the opposite of breaking. It actually grows from that moment. And that's the human condition. That is what it means to be anti-fragile. And in particular, the adolescent and childhood stages are meant to test those things. They're meant to be this time and space for us to test the the fragility, the anti-fragility of these growing humans. We're supposed to propel them into adulthood by testing them and challenging them and strengthening them by putting hardship in front of them sometimes. I thought he used such a good example because I kind of think in pictures and he was talking about like, if you needed a analogy thinking about the immune system. And I was like, that's so helpful of like, if we only wash our hands all the time and use antibacterial like hand sanitizer, like if we never expose ourselves to germs, we actually create 
a bad situation for our bodies in like a very physical sense. And so it's like the same thing of like our immune systems only get stronger because they have to learn. Our immune systems have to learn what the bad things are because they like create an army to fight them off. And I was like, Oh, that's so, cause yeah. I can understand that. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, emotionally that's the same. It's like, if you're never faced with anything, you genuinely don't know what to do with it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that made a, in my mind, just imagining that like helped me so much to think those same things that matter for our physical bodies are not different for our emotional yeah. health as well. Yeah. Which was really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he gets into, um, three things, uh, that have caused this or has helped facilitate this culture of turning our anti-fragile development stages into stages that have created these fragile children and young adults that are living today. And so he, he labels them as three untruths, things that we shouldn't do, but we do when we're when we're raising this current generation. And so the first one, the first untruth, as he likes to say, that we have come to believe and parent and raise this generation is that whatever does not kill you makes you weaker. That we should pursue things so that we are not confronted with hardship so that I can feel safe all the time because hardship is not a feeling that I should, I should feel, I should not feel challenged. What, what kind of, what kind of things come from that? When you believe that everything around you is a threat, how do you start to function? You don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're just afraid of everything. You're afraid of everything. You are, when you are challenged that something that was a small challenge for the older generation is now a huge challenge. Everything becomes traumatic. And he dives really hard into that. And the way I like to summarize it is, is that we have eliminated hardship from the current generation. And I would say it's out of a, a, a good heart. We are naturally protective people. We want to make sure our kids are happy. We want them to have a good time. We don't want them to struggle because watching a kid struggle is the worst. The worst. Yeah. And it's so weird because it feels like it has been such a pendulum of, I'm so interested in that of like how that happens in culture of like cultural trends of, you know, probably if we asked our parents, (laughs) their growing up was dramatically different than ours and probably hard. Yeah. And especially compared to now we're raising another generation of even though we're trying not to coddle our kids yeah. positive, we do. Yeah. And just how dramatically different, like the pendulum of it's too, maybe too hard for kids versus now it's like we've coddled too much. And yeah. we're, which is why we're talking about this of like, we've yeah. created something that actually doesn't fit well in our world. Yeah. Yeah. Because we can only protect our kids for so long. Right. And, and so part of the problem with this is the fact that if we, they aren't confronted with enough hardship during the child rearing stages, when they are an adult and are confronting hardship, probably for the first time, and they're on their own, their brains have no capacity to take it on. And that is what he leads into is where our mental health epidemic has, has been rooted in, is that the, this generation has not had to create the early coping mechanisms to handle the, 
big and real hardships that adulthood brings. Um, we would love for hardship not to be a part of any part of life, sure. but any adult listening to this podcast knows, well, that's unavoidable. Yeah. It's coming for you yeah. at some point. Yeah. That's why childhood is so sweet and it's great to have little kids because they're so innocent. They don't, their hardships are so minimal. They scrape their knee, right? They didn't get the cookie after dinner. Like they're so minimal, but them going through that hardship is a building block for a bigger hardship that comes during the teenage years. My girlfriend broke up with me. My parents got a divorce. My teacher failed me and I have to do this class again. And then you move into adulthood and what do you deal with? Everything. I got fired. My loved one died. I'm going through a divorce. Like those are all building blocks. And so when you remove those early stages and you've had no hardship and then all of a sudden you're met with your first one when you're 25, your brain's going to explode. Right. Yeah. Well, and I feel like we've even seen that with some of our older students of just like almost feeling incapacitated by hardship of just like cannot cope. And for me and you, it feels minimal, but right. for them, it's as if we're dealing with. Yeah. Something. Five star alarm. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the first untruth. That's probably the biggest one that he deals with when he talks about. The second one is always trust your feelings. Now, Susan, I know you can relate to that one. <laughs> yeah, this one was great. Yeah, so, so helpful. Yeah, what, what, what happens there when you trust your feelings all the time? Gosh, which I, I will just say a quick plug. This is such a good video, not for just who maybe lives in your house and you're raising, but like as I just enjoyed it personally. And this is one of my favorite ones of, I feel like I have had to do so much learning of not always trusting my feelings, which is really hard. Yeah. Because there should be one person in your life you trust fully. Right. And it's not myself. And for it, sure. it should. Like, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I really appreciated that because I, and we've said, I've shared this before on this podcast. I really struggle with anxiety and that's been a, it's been a different journey over the last few years, but that has been such a linchpin in my life. And now I'm parenting a child with anxiety. And one of the biggest things we have had to work through and that we say all the time is just because I feel it doesn't mean it's true. And that is so hard to believe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It sure because is. when you feel it, and again, talk about a pendulum swing. It's like we've gone from generations where like feelings are not valid and then coming to where they're everything. And it's so hard to find the middle ground. It's like, we have to engage with our feelings. Like that's good and normal. And like, we are whole beings and that's who God created us to be. But just cause we feel something doesn't mean it's law, <laughs> which yeah. is a really tricky nuanced balance. Yeah. yeah. When that, when that's most dangerous, it's in the teenage brain. I can't imagine. Because, you know, what this is saying is if you're always trusting your feelings, that means you're always trusting your impulse. Yeah. Yikes. And we all know a teenager's impulse is probably the most dangerous. One, because they can drive. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and two, they have accessibility to a lot of things. Yeah. And so if they're trusting their feelings at any moment, they're like, I feel like I want to go do this. And they go do it. And that can be a good thing. That can be a bad thing. And so if you always trust your feelings, you're like, I'm trusting my gut on this. This is the right thing. <laughs> maybe, probably not. Don't right. maybe take a moment 
uh, to think about that. And we're, we're capable to do that as adults. We can take a pause. Like our brains are developed enough where we can say, wait, I don't, I don't know if that's a good <laughs> feeling or not. That. Maybe think about it. A teenager's brain is not capable of doing that. So if we're giving them the message saying, always trust your feelings, what if my feeling is opposing to this other person's feeling and we're both trying to accomplish the same thing? You're going to end it's up really dangerous. Yeah, it's really dangerous. That is what we call drama. <laughs> <laughs> so I would say, you know, this is my own opinion, but drama is on the rise. Drama is much bigger and more often than it ever used to be. And you can blame technology for that. But I think, you know, what he says in this untruth is that we trust our feelings too much. And that I shouldn't inhibit your feelings at the same time. You're like, well, what if my feelings are to inhibit your feelings? It's contradictory. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy that that's part of our culture, but that's what he says. The third one is life is a battle between good people and bad people. And I summarize this as only your beliefs matter. That it's, if you don't agree with me, you're my enemy. Which is kind of a building block on what you, yeah, the one we just said. Yeah. Like if I feel this way, yeah, therefore, yeah, says it, yeah like you're against me. Yeah. It's just created a divisive culture in so many ways that if you don't 100% align with my feelings, with the way that I live my life and say yes to everything that I do, you are not just somebody I don't like. You are my enemy. And that obviously is very against the Christian message. And as Jesus even says, love your enemies. So what do we do with that? Like, how does that... How does all of this influence or change how we do youth ministry? I've got some thoughts, but Susan, I want to know if like there's anything that's popping off in the top of your head. Like after hearing that, how how would you approach youth ministry knowing that this if if this is totally true and what his theories are are leaning towards? How do you change your job? I mean, I always go back and this is something that I have to work on constantly because this is not natural for me is asking good questions. I think all of these may, when I was listening to it earlier, I was thinking all of these things that we just listed, if I have a teenager coming to me in a crisis or it is a crisis for them, but like most of the time it's related around drama, drama with a friend, drama with a boy, asking good questions, like what we just said of, so just because you think about it, how do you, how do you know that's true? And, and the, the author kind of goes more into that of like being, helping shape that muscle of critical thinking is going to be really, really helpful to aid us in how we think about these students of helping them use that muscle of like, how do I think about this issue bigger than just like what's happening, how I feel about it and maybe what I think about the other person. And so I'm like, okay, I need to think about the questions I ask when I'm sitting with someone. I think I'm a really good empathizer and that's probably my strong suit, which is not helpful for growth. I feel like that's good in a moment of pain, but like as far as growth, which is what we long for for our students is pushing them more and almost like in a self-discovery way of like asking a question that could make them discover hopefully where I'm trying to lead them to. Yeah. And then on that last point of like believing everyone's your enemy is really, I think, especially with girls, 
pushing them towards what is something in this situation that we can affirm? Like whether it's a person or a friend or a parent, a situation with a parent, it really is hard to get out of your head that this person is against you. And so I've, I've got a lot of situations right now where people are really struggling with their parents. And I feel like, again, instead of only being a listening ear or someone to pray with, how do I move towards like, what if we thought about this differently? What, this is really hard. Absolutely. What can we look at and maybe flip on its head of how we're going to think about this? You're really hurt. That's true and valid. What else could be going on? (laughs) And are we positive? Let's look at facts. Are we positive this person is against you? You know, just kind of breaking it down a little bit more in that way. Yeah. One of the ways I like to uh, reframe the question when a, you know, a student is, you know, talking about a a hard parent situation, a hard friend situation is, you know, they're doing it out of love. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, they may not should, they should not be doing that, but the root cause and why they're doing it is because they're doing it because they love you. So start there. Like it's not because they hate you and helping them reframe, like they're for you. They just may not be doing it in the most appropriate way from your perspective. Obviously I'm talking from the student's perspective and, and, and where that, where that leads the, the conversation is as, as, as it relates to this book is he talks about the importance of relating to hard people and being in relationship with people who disagree with you, you have to understand that we have more in common than we don't with mm-hmm. everybody in the world. There's more that we have in common than we you know, disagree about. And so he said the, the most productive um, transformative people in this culture and in this world have been people who have noted commonality and trying to grow um, as a human race from our commonality rather than try to grow from our divisive differences. Mm-hmm. Any leader that has come along and said, you're either with me or against me has only separated <laughs> things and has only damaged. They've never succeeded in creating peace by being divisive. That's, that feels like common sense, but yet that's how we operate. In, in a lot of ways, especially at the high school level, you think about where cliques exist, high school, you know, yeah. if they're not a part of our group, they're not cool. Yeah. If they're not a part of this, they're wrong. So it really starts in those stages. And so we have a lot of those conversations for like, remember at the end of the day, that person and that person, I know they never spend time and they don't do anything in common, but you're more alike than you're different. And as a Christian, you're actually called to pursue that person, despite the fact that they don't want to do what you want to do or have a different thought than you have. That's one of the things I've loved about, well, I have elementary age kids. And so like now all the moms are out waiting for their kids to come out of school. And I have thought a lot about that of like, isn't it so cool and weird as you mature and get older? you do feel more of a commonality of like, yeah, we just, we're both here picking up our kids and we have something in common now. You know, yeah. it's nothing yeah. big. It's not like, Oh, we both play yeah. tennis. It's like, we are literally just standing here. And so we're going to be friends. And yeah. it's like, maybe we wouldn't have been friends in high school, but we would be now, yeah. you know? And it's like that. I think me and you joke 
quite often. Would we hang out together in high school? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> we we didn't do any of the same things. Um, I think we were both friendly enough to where like we would have been friendly towards each other, but I don't think we would have spent <laughs> much time together just knowing our- Wasn't on the uh, track team. So. Yeah, we, we didn't have common interest in the high school era, uh, <laughs> but you never know. Uh, yeah, it's just a sweet uh, equalizer of yeah. maturity and- adulthood of yeah. those things you yeah. you see the things in common more yeah and you can appreciate those and yeah. almost appreciate differences which is just something you have to grow in yeah I want to run down a few things that I feel like are important to address, especially doing youth ministry and leading into, you know, maybe parenting and discipling your teen. One thing that I get from this is when you talk about safetyism is the, the reality that we've created a culture where our kids shouldn't face hardship. One of our jobs of any adult in a teen's life is you might have to be that source of hardship for them. If they're living in a very safe culture, especially in our context, they're very safe. And that's a good thing. I want to say like, it's good to keep your child safe. Please don't right. harm them for the sake of quote unquote growth. That's, <laughs> that's not what we're for saying. For sure, please don't. Yeah. Um, but what I'm saying is you might have to push back on some of their thoughts or some of their choices or, you know, say, hey, maybe think about it in this way or come down hard with discipline and saying, yeah, I know. Yeah, I'm in that now. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's it's really hard to do to be the source of hardship for your kid. But it is actually one of your roles as a parent and for us youth workers for us to sometimes be that source. If they're not being challenged by the world because we've created a safe space for them, you might have to be that hardship sometimes. And that's hard. That's hard to sit in. I feel like as a parent, I'm feeling that of also like <sighs> Sitting in that and being okay with it. That's, that's hard Yeah, to be like the place of you're the person yeah. creating a hard, yeah. a hard moment or not understanding that that's a hard place to sit, yeah. even when you know it's for their good Yeah, because they don't understand. Yeah. And that's hard to not be able to say like, you, you, you'll appreciate this when you're older. They don't care, yeah. <laughs> you know, but yeah. it is hard. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the other, the other side of that is you don't have to be their only source of hardship. What, and, and like the way that I will, I will challenge the listener is it's okay to let your kid roam free a little bit. And that may, maybe for some of you putting them in a secular setting for the first time in their lives and letting them wrestle with that. And there may be things about that, that they like that you don't agree with. And that's a challenge to you. And that's an opportunity for you to grow and for you to confront it. Because the way that you respond to that challenge is probably the way your child is going to respond to that challenge. So don't be afraid to put your kid out there and have them do something that may confront them with a little bit of reality before you want them to. Because if, if you don't do it now, they're going to do it later when they're on their own. And they won't have their parent in their house to walk them through that process. It is actually safer for them to be challenged 
under your house for them to be challenged outside of your house. So you're doing the groundwork now so that they can handle it later on on their own. Yeah, I always think about something Kent said to me. There was a student I needed to confront about something. And I always remember saying, if you don't do it, someone who doesn't care about them will. I mean, that is a specific example, but what you're just saying made me think of that of like, our children will be confronted with hardship and how sweet it would it be for that to be with me or with a youth worker, another trusted adult that actually like the, their heartbeat for this student is care and love and growth and reliance on Christ versus what the world yeah. is offering. Yeah. Of like, it's all about you. Just trust yourself. You know, it's like, yeah. that is a very damaging yeah. and unrealistic path. Yeah. For life for sure. Yeah. Can I throw out a theory that I've been Absolutely. sitting on for a while Please. that I'm probably releasing this for the first time. Oh, Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. No, it's a little bit divisive, but I'm so scared. I don't, you know, it's not, it's not proven. I just have this working theory of uh, this might be the leading cause to our deconstruction problem that we have in the church. Mm. And here's where I come, where I come to that conclusion. If we are raising our children as covenant children in the church, trying to raise them to become and live Christian lives, that's a really good thing. I please do that to raise your children within the church context, to surround them as much with as much scripture and Christian love and gospel inspired moments. Do that as much as you can. But when you don't ever allow them to confront anything outside of that bounds while they're in these, these stages, like I've keep saying, they will eventually leave your home. They'll graduate. They'll get a job. They might go to college. And then they will make a friend who did not grow up like that. And that friend is going to present some things to them that seem odd, that feel different. Some things sound good. And they start to spiral in their own mind. And because they haven't had any of the building blocks to cope with a different truth, a, a diversive truth, they're going to spiral like crazy and start to deconstruct their faith. And that could mean that it spirals to the point to where they're like, mom and dad lied to me. They never showed me these things to, I don't trust the church because they never presented these things, which are totally not true. It's just, they never built up the stamina to do those things. So here's what I like to say. And this is another one of those challenges is don't be so afraid for your child to deconstruct their faith when they're living under your roof. Allow for them to be challenged in their faith while you still are shepherding mm -hmm. them. That's hard. And I like when you're saying that, I'm thinking how much of this is really also about me, like for sure for our kids, but also where are the places that I'm afraid? I, I wouldn't say I am a fragile person, but I'm afraid of being, being in a situation that would make me feel fragile or make me feel weak. And how is that also influencing my parenting? It's like, I don't want my kid to do something like you're just saying, like that is going to freak me out if they do that. And then I will feel fragile. And so it's like, how am I also parenting out of my own fear of this, of like uh, understanding my beliefs or uh, like challenging their beliefs? I had a 
one of my children recently, we were praying before bed. And in the middle of me praying, they go, oh, are you going to say amen yet? And I was like, <laughs> it like really hurt my feelings, yeah. you know, because to me in that moment, I was like, they don't love Jesus. They're never going to love the church. And I was like, OK, OK, yeah, yeah. <laughs> calm down. Yeah. And my fear then encourages my parenting, which then is back to everything we're saying. It's like, well, okay, well, how do I make it where they never say that again? It's okay to say that. <laughs> like that's a great teaching moment versus like yeah. a place for me to run in fear. Yeah. But it's hard. And that's why you have to do this at the feet of Jesus of like, yeah. I don't know how to let my child go Yeah, in a way that doesn't scare me to death without the gospel, without believing that Jesus has them and holds them. And yeah is preparing this for them. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Our job is not to raise kids so that they are safe for 18 years right? and just be done. Like, okay, I, I did it. They're on their own now because if, if we just live that life, then one, that'd be a lot easier, but two, we're just raising a, a generation to approach adulthood. Very scared. They are scared to approach things and they don't have a sense of security because that sense of security, they're either going to run back home and, and be home and only find that place safe. But that's not our job as Christians. We're, we're raising our kids to find safety and salvation, not in us, but in Jesus. And that is not something that ends at 18, but that's an eternal life situation. And so we need to prepare them for more than just the 18 years. I think somebody said, we're not raising children, we're raising adults. And if you, you change your framework that way, how am I mm. raising my child to become an adult who is faithful mm. and following Jesus? That means we're putting things in front of them that are preparing them for the stage of life that is outside of our home. That's so encouraging. Yeah. Yeah. That feels, it's such a bigger call and it's, it's almost freeing because it's like, you feel like you have to have each stage almost figured out of like, this is what we're parenting right here. But like when you can have a bigger yeah. mindset and even this week, our, our church is amazing and honors us at Christmas and does like a sweet brunch for us. And they write us all cards. And in my card, it said something like, thank you so much for pouring into the youth of the church because they are the church of the future. And it's, it's kind of what you're saying of yeah. like, we are what we're creating now affects us yeah. to come. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's not just, we're doing this while they're living in our house. This is something that's building blocks for something way bigger yeah. in the future. For yeah. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you, Susan. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. That, that <laughs> is student ministry for parents. That is our first episode back after almost an entire year off. And as a sneak peek for next, next month's episode, we are going to dive into Gene Twenge's iGen. I don't have a clue. What that just sounded any like words that, that sounded like not English. <laughs> Jean Twenge is the author of a book called iGen, and she really iGen. that is the current generation. Oh gosh, okay. Uh, oh, you could sorry. also say so out of it. I think Gen Z is also a name. iGen. Not Gen like, I. I don't know. I didn't write the uh, book. But we're gonna dive deep. Okay. She goes <laughs> deep into what is this generation? What? Cannot wait. Who are they? And so we'll do the same thing. We will give stories of youth ministry. We will review that book. And then we'll ask the two questions is how does this change? How we do youth ministry and how should this affect how you disciple your team? I can't wait. <laughs>
All right. We will see you guys next month. Yeah.